I think I was just deeply wrestling with what does it mean to live in an age, you know, post-World War II, post the interstate movement, post uh, the blow up of the American city and the development of suburbanization. Is it even possible anymore to be a church that has a deep commitment to place? Everybody, you're listening to the Embedded Church Podcast, where we share stories about walkable churches creating new levels of belonging with their neighbors. I'm Eric Jacobson. And I'm Sarah Joy Propay, and we'll be your hosts on today's episode of the Embedded Church Podcast. I am so excited about today's episode of the Embedded Church Podcast because I get to share with you a conversation that we had with my good friend, Corey Widmer. Corey is a pastor at Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, and Corey, like me, is someone who cares deeply about place, and Corey has been encouraging his congregation to think about the physical setting of the neighborhood around their church and the neighborhood around their homes as important contexts for ministry. But what makes today's episode especially great is that Corey has not been content to think about the neighborhood around their church as a given but has convened a community-wide conversation with all the neighbors and stakeholders to think together about how they could make their neighborhood a better setting for human flourishing. That community-wide conversation is called a charrette, and you're going to learn all about that in this episode of the Embedded Church Podcast. All right. So Corey, thank you for uh, being our guest on our show today. Um, Corey, I met you years ago, back when you were serving another church in Richmond, but you are currently at Third Church in Richmond, Virginia. Can you tell us how long you've been there? Yes. Well, and also just to remind you, Eric, it wasn't actually, we did not just accidentally meet. I actually stalked you, if you don't. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I, right. I have a little too. <laughs> yeah, I had read your I had read your book, Sidewalks in the Kingdom, and it had really influenced me. And so we were both at a conference together, and I found out you were there. And so yeah, I basically stalked you and That's asked right. you for if we could go out for a beer. And um, yeah, so it, our yes. friendship. Yes, yes, yes. So I we've we've gone yeah. way back, but I had a chance to visit Richmond. Uh, been two years mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Um, go yeah. see you there and had a great time there. But um, yeah. So I, you never answered my actual question though. How long have yeah, you been? So I've church? actually, it's funny. I've actually been at this same church for almost 15 years, um, okay. but I've been in three different roles. I started off right out of seminary as an associate pastor. And then about four years in, we started a new church. I was sent by this church, commissioned by this church to start a new church in the inner city of Richmond that was a multi-ethnic neighborhood congregation. And then I co-pastored that congregation for eight years that was incubated within Third. And then four, f- four years ago, I came back to Third as the senior pastor. So I've been in the same church for, in three, three distinct roles. Sergio, don't you have a question? Well, I was going to ask, I was curious what conference you all were at that you met. Was this a conference related to the built environment or what was the connection there? I think it was nothing so interesting. I think it was just our, it was, it was, it was our denominational conference. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. there you go. But you obviously had been stalking him for a while. So you had an interest in this built environment component. So I'm curious, how did that come about for you? How did well, you as a pastor get engaged in that? Yeah, it's interesting. It originally came about for me when I was in college. And I was introduced to, to the Christian Community Development Association, um, which is a, a movement that was started back in the 
70s by a civil rights Christian and um, pastor named John Perkins. Um, And that was at the time when many Christians and especially many evangelical churches had abandoned cities. It was not Mm -hmm. the time like it is now where it was an attractive or sexy thing to live in urban environments. And so Perkins started a movement called the Christian Community Development Association that was encouraging Christians to move back into these urban environments instead of just kind of lofting in resources and short-term mission trips from the outside. He called for what he called the three R's, which was relocation, uh, redistribution, and reconciliation. He was really encouraging communities of Christians to relocate into blighted urban environments, to live in intentional community, to help to redistribute resources, and ultimately work towards reconciliation. So I was exposed to that movement when I was in college and was super inspired by it. And so about five years after college, a group of four couples, including my wife and me, that were part of that conversation when we were at University of Virginia, we all did move into this urban environment together to do this um, community development work. And it was there when I started just reading as much as I could, which was not a whole lot, actually, as much literature as I could within the Christian community within reformed community about urbanization. What does it mean to be an urban Christian? What does it mean to be a placemaker within a Christian? What does it mean to have a church that has a deep sense of incarnational presence within a community? And so Eric's book was one of those books that was just a rare find. And that was really formational for me in helping to ultimately start a church that was singularly focused on being a neighborhood congregation for a particular community. That's awesome. So I was curious, so is that then translated into where you're at with Third Church now and the way that you all are endeavoring ministry there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's weird because in some ways, Third could not be any more different than the church that I planted. Uh, the church I planted was yeah. small, you know, 200 people, multiracial. I was co-pastoring with an African-American pastor. It was in a, a very bounded urban community that was built in the mid 19th century through the 1930s. And so it was a classic sort of urban landscape there, the way that the neighborhood was formed. And we were very much focused on a particular geography. We used to joke that we would check people's driver's license when they came into the church that <laughs> they didn't live. So, you know, move, moving to a, a very different church, you know, this is a, a 1400 member church in the suburbs, mostly homogenous, at least culturally, mostly white. Um, and then it draws from people all over the city. So on my first couple of years, I was just, I'm I, the way I think about ministry is so focused on place and neighborhood and yeah. incarnational community that I think I was just deeply wrestling with what does it mean to live in an age, you know, post-World War II, post the interstate movement, uh, post the blow up of the American city and the development of suburbanization. Is it even possible anymore to be a church that has a deep commitment to place and geography and incarnational presence? So the way that we've tried to do that at third is two avenues, really. One is to really think deeply about where we're located. Um, And instead of trying to forget our geographic place and become a church for everywhere to kind of really lean into our particular geographic place and really seek to how to be better neighbors, especially through the built environment. So that's one way. And then the second way is we've completely reorganized our church into 12 geographic parish areas. So um, now we have 12 parish areas in our church 
all around the whole city so that every single person in our church is in one of these 12 parish areas. And we've reorganized our community groups, our diaconate, our um, care plan. Everything is now organized around these 12 parishes. I think that parish idea is brilliant. I love it. And I hope it goes well. But I also recognize that the neighborhood immediately surrounding the church is a place. Is that one of the parishes or is that different in a sense in how you think about it since it is where the, the mothership is located? Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, it is it, it is one of the 12 parishes. I mean, there are people that are in that particular, our, our church, the actual church building itself is in one of the 12 parishes. Yep. However, we're also trying to think of the church itself, the church building itself as almost like a distinct um, entity that is distinct from those other 12 places because it, in some ways it's a space that we all inhabit. Um, unlike right. anything else in the other 12 areas. So we all spend time here. We all gather here. We, this is a place where we um, have a lot of our, the way that we embody our faith happens at this particular location. And so I think more than we have in the past, we've tried to really think hard about what does it mean for us to be neighbors in this physical environment? How is our, building and our parking lots and the sidewalks and how are these things either contributing or failing to contribute to the overall flourishing of the people in our uh, proximate environment. We have been a very long drawn out process of figuring out what to do about our building because it's falling, you know, it needs serious repair, lots of different maintenance. We've run out of space. We need to renovate, but we wanted to do that in a way that was really thoughtful about how we're affecting our neighborhood and how we can contribute to the common good of the neighborhood. So we brought Eric out to yeah. help us with a charrette, a public charrette process. Wait, wait. That. Let me let me okay. interrupt you there because I want to I want to come I want to come back to the yeah. charrette, but before that, I want to help our listeners get a, a little bit of a picture of even what the neighborhood looks like. Kind of your observations. You admit you kind of you kind of said some intriguing things about wanting to look around and be really intentional about the neighborhood yeah. the church is in. But what just before you do anything intentional as a church in that neighborhood. What, can you describe the neighborhood a little bit? What's the setting? Yeah, it's a, it's a, I guess I would call it a first ring suburb, you know, like after, um, after World War II, a lot of cities in America started building these first ring suburbs around the city and people who had previously lived in the city started moving out into these areas. And the church was, uh, the, the church got this property in 1952. And then, so in some ways it resembles a classic kind of, um, church at the center of a village where it's instead of having being surrounded by big parking lots, it's pushed up close to the street. You can see kind of the big front door with the six um, columns when you're driving down the road. It's just right there. It has sort of an, an invitational feel that you might have with a classic church that was in the center of a city or something. So in some ways it resembles a classic church that you might find in the center of a town. On the other hand, it really is emblematic of suburbia as well. There's hardly any sidewalks. Um, there's no crosswalks. You have this nice invitational front foyer that's inviting you into the building, but there's no way to actually get there <laughs> because cars are driving by <laughs> at 45 miles an hour in front of the street. And there's no crosswalk to even cross the road to get to it. We're across the street from an elementary school and a little shopping center and lots of retail, lots of restaurants. We actually own the building next door to the church building for where we have all of our offices. And so we actually own a pretty wide swath of property that is fairly significant for how people experience this little part of Richmond. And we started asking ourselves, if we were a lot more intentional, we could 
do a whole lot to improve the walkability, the connectivity. Because right now, even though people are living in this lovely neighborhood, you can't actually walk or get to anywhere because the streets are so wide, the cars are driving so fast, the sidewalks are non-existent, the crosswalks are nonsensical. So what if, because we own so much property around here, what if we actually used our the influence of our physical imprint to help improve the experience of living in this neighborhood? Yeah, you know, it's, it's got enough sort of density and some diversity of building types and there's destinations to go to. And it's very pleasant yeah. in a lot yeah. of ways, but, it, but it's missing some of the requisite infrastructure to be truly walkable. Man, you said that like 10 times better than I could. Thank you. I was formulating that as you, as you were speaking. I was coming up with that. Requisite yes. was kind of the... Uh, I, I can just picture it on the page, actually. Requisite <laughs> infrastructure. Thank you, Eric. Yes. <laughs> All right. So um, that's, that's actually a great transition. I want to ask about that conversation that you guys hosted. So you're settling in, you're taking, paying attention to the local setting, you're, you're starting to envision how this neighborhood could be better for connectivity and just be a, a, a more flourishing environment for humans yeah. that, that interact. They're both within the church and within the, the larger community. So you decide to have a conversation yeah. about it. Can you start to describe uh, what you did? Yeah, it was, it was pretty fascinating. Um, let me preface it by saying about 10 years ago, the church was, I mean, this conversation about what to do with our building has been going on for about 20, 15 to 20 years. And about 10 years ago, when I had first come on as a young associate pastor, the church had developed a plan to basically expand the building in a pretty unappealing way to the neighborhood. And it created a whole lot of anger. Um, plans were pushed through without any community and neighborhood feedback. It was approved by the county the plans were never actually used and never built on because the economic crisis happened in 2008. But what it left was a lot of bad blood between the church and the neighborhood. And a lot of neighbors have felt pretty angry and suspicious towards the church. So we knew, first of all, that going into this, like we were going to have to be built, rebuild a lot of trust with our neighbors. But um, we also have a wonderful guy who is part of the new urbanism movement named Andrew, who's an architect, who was a chief leader in our redevelopment plan. And Andrew was the one who suggested, hey, how about we do a public charrette? And if the listeners don't know what that is, I didn't know what it was. Charrette is like, I think it's like a French word that means little cart or something. Is that right? <laughs> you got um, it. Yeah, yeah, good job. <laughs> I think what am I, I think I might have a little more um, specificity there. I think it was in the architecture schools. The, uh, the, the final assignment would be due at a particular time. Yeah. And they would roll the cart through and you had to scroll up your plans and shove them on the cart, the charrette. And the students, as most students, were procrastinators. And so at the very last minute, they were furiously trying to push their plans together and make them happen. And they would, um, they would follow the cart and like jump on the cart with their plans and basically ride the cart through the... And it had this kind of celebratory... As they were sort of drawing the plans as it went along. Yeah. Yeah. Drawing. yeah. And I think in a way that now that I think about it, that image actually makes sense because... The other kind of funny image that comes to mind is that building a plane mm-hmm. while you're flying it kind of thing. It's that sense of like, you know, it's not like ministry stops and it's not like the neighborhood stops while you are trying to figure out what yeah. to do. But 
you want to gather people together and see if you can be more intentional yeah. Yeah. Um, in the midst yeah. of life. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I mean, that's what we wanted to do. And Andrew, our leader who came up with this idea said, Hey, before we do any plans, before we come up with any ideas, let's just listen to people. Let's listen to our neighbors. Let's listen to local business owners. Let's listen to the school, the parents, the administration across the street. And let's just see, kind of hear what people's desires, hopes, dreams, fears are for this community and how our church might help or impact that. And it was kind of amazing. For three days, we had this like open charrette in our fellowship hall and all these people from the neighborhood came. And it was funny because when they first came, they were, everybody came like with their with their fisticuffs, like they were, <laughs> they were like ready to fight. And um, as we were, as they were having this public input process, people just kept saying, "Like we know you've got the secret plans. Like show us the plans. <laughs> we know they're back there somewhere." And we just kept saying, "Like no, we don't have any plans. Like we're just listening to you." So I'm curious with that though, because the fact that you did not have an actual plan, was there any like fear or intrepidation on behalf of the church staff of kind of we're opening ourselves up to? whatever the community wants. And how did you like work through that and overcome that on your side in terms of getting people comfortable with the idea of kind of this open platform um, and not having that preconceived idea? There was a ton. And, you know, especially the, our leaders who were a part of the last iteration of the planning process and who experienced the ire of the neighborhood members the most, they were so resistant to this idea. I think because they thought, you know, they are going to not, neighbors they're, they're, they're going to be dead set on whatever plan that we come up with. This is a fruitless exercise. Why are we doing this? Like we're never going to be able to deliver on the things that they want. And so there was a, there was a lot of fear and a lot of even resistance among certain folks in our church to do it. Um, but we went ahead and it was actually like a really beautiful experience. And, you know, some, I think some of the neighbors actually felt really listened to. I developed some relationships with these neighbors. I had a couple of them send me notes afterwards that said like, you know, I no longer think your church is horrible. It's, um, <laughs> there's a win. Yeah. Um, uh, I developed relationship with the principal of the school across the street. And then all these things came out that were really interesting. Like neighbors were saying, yeah, like it is really dumb that we have this sidewalk that just ends and there's no crosswalk and there's no way to get across the street to the, you know, to the convenience store or the ice cream parlor or the coffee shop across the street. Like, that is really weird. I've never thought about that. And it is, it is kind of ridiculous that the road that runs in front of the church and the school is wide enough to run a four lane highway through. And yet this is a, like, and that cars drive so fast and it makes walking essentially impossible. Uh, it just started to generate, yeah. it was like there's all this fertility. There was all this like generation of ideas. What I love about that is that the conversations <laughs> that were starting on your property were actually working themselves out into the betterment of other businesses and other organizations in the yeah. community. And I think that that's such the call of the church in so many ways, right? Of what do we look at, like kind of redeeming that central circle, but then what are the spillover effects or the ripple effects that we bring into the community by the work that we're doing? And so I think that's a really cool picture to see just, oh, well, you know, better sidewalks to access this convenience store because that will help their business yeah. thrive in the long yeah. run too. So. Yeah. Hey, can I jump in though? Because I love the... Um... Fertility. Speak about good words. Yeah, I think you got one there. Uh, fertility of the conversation, but but just for our listeners, just to continue to give a little more concreteness to what a charrette is. I know that you. I don't, and I don't expect you had it exactly remember. You know, perfectly uh, in your in your memory from two years ago. But I remember there were different days where you talked to different mm-hmm. stakeholders, 
And then you had different iterations. Can you try to flesh out a little bit of what those things looked like so people can get a picture? There's a, it was like a five-day mm-hmm. event. Yeah. We know there were architecture students on the side drawing furiously as people spoke. Yeah, that's what was wild about it is that all the whole time, if if the listeners could just sort of imagine this, is that in the, this big fellowship hall, in the center of the room, there were like, you know, 20 or 30 chairs set up for whatever group it was that we were getting feedback from at the time. And then all around the sides were these literally like 15 different architecture and design students who were drawing and designing and imagining as we were talking. So it was kind of crazy. And then we had like several stages where we would have a, a meeting with local business leaders. We'd have a meeting with neighbors, have a meeting with some of the other institutions like the school. Uh, we had a meeting with county representatives. Um, and then we had a meeting with church church members. And so we had all of these different meetings where people were offering their plans and then and their ideas. Then there was one iteration of plans that were developed where we got to come in and give feedback. Everybody, everybody got to come in and see the plans and, and give feedback. Yeah. Everybody got to come in and see the plans. Yeah. And then they worked on it some more. And then there was one final uh, presentation on the Saturday where everyone who participated was invited to come. And we kind of, the students revealed their, the plants that they had developed. And of course they were amazing, but of course they would cost like $200 billion. Um, <laughs> so and that, <laughs> so that, that, that was uh, in some ways super sobering. exciting, but also sobering at the same time. And, and then ultimately they delivered it to us in this like uh, a really nice hard copy form that we've been able to now use to inform our planning process as we begin to work on our actual plans for our building. So, and, and if, if there's any way to do this, Corey, we're, we're doing um, some show notes. And I'd love to see just a couple of shots, pictures of some of those yeah. renderings because I feel like one of the things that was accomplished right away even as you say, some of this stuff's probably untenable from a financial standpoint. Some of the stuff, you know, at least in the right. short term, um, it just really opened up people's imaginations yeah. to what, I mean, I mean, it's, it's a very pleasant setting where you are, but as you, as you pointed out, there's some real problems with walkability and there's just some wonky mm-hmm. things, especially with the, with the retail right. area. Um, it's kind of a glorified strip mall in a way, but it's also the community gathering spot and it could function so much better as a gathering spot if there was like a place to gather, but, but people don't think about it. Uh, until you show them a picture of it. Yeah, totally. And, and you know, uh, we're patient in this too. I mean, there's just certain, like anything in life, there's certain things that we can do and there's certain things that are out of our hands. We can make some, I think, influential decisions about how we best steward our, the, you know, the, the land and the physical environment that has been entrusted to us. And there are ways that we can do that that have been informed by this process and that can be stoked by our Christian imaginations. But maybe if we pursue, use our imaginations a little bit and actually start putting our money where our mouth is, it might continue to inspire our community and provoke them a little bit to think that way too if they're part of this block. I will say one example of what's come out of it. So our office building is very poorly positioned on this lot. We have a lot of land, but because of the landscaping in the parking lot, it's hugely, it's a, it's a very inefficient use of the property. And so because of the charrette process, we've triggered us to think creatively about partnering with a developer who might be willing to help develop our building to help create a restaurant or a coffee shop actually built onto our office building and to help build a plaza on the corner 
and actually it would be the developer who was investing in that and that we would serve as sort of a partner by helping to steward the physical property. And so it just kind of opened our imaginations to do things with our building that we had never conceived before. Yeah, that's awesome. So I have a question about parking. Uh, <laughs> Am yeah, I allowed yeah. to ask that yeah. on a walkable podcast? Absolutely. Yeah, walkability. We're, we're not, we're not yeah. too idealistic here. We know that some people still drive right. to and will continue right. to do so. And so I'm curious what parking is like currently at your church. Because you said you have about 1,400 mm-hmm. members, right? And they're coming from yeah. all over, it yeah. sounds like. And so I'm curious about what the current parking situation is like. And then have these plans that you've been working through with the charrette process, did they you know, address parking and what has come from that? Because I think that's for me, one of the number one things is I'm working with churches with placemaking and real estate development. Like you cannot touch the holy parking, you know? know. Um, So it's how do you have those conversations um, and maybe stretch people to think a little more creatively in that area um, and not have everybody with pitchforks angry at you about taking away parking? I just tell, I just tell people to, to, to use Uber now. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, I tell them to buy it. Yeah. Dropped yeah. Since then. Yeah. No, yeah. We, unfortunately, Richmond is one of those places that, um, public transportation is, is, um, really insufficient and doesn't even access where our church is. Um, and so people do rely on cars. I mean, there are a few people who live really close to the church who walk and ride bikes, but that's pretty rare. Thankfully, uh, even though parking is challenging, it's not a crisis because we're across the street from a school and we've worked out a contract with the school to be able to use all of their parking on Sunday mornings. And because we're surrounded by all this retail space, we've also have a couple of folks that we've talked about where we can arrange for our staff and other leaders to park far Mm -hmm. away. So it leaves the parking lots that are proximate to the building available for people. But what was interesting about the charrette process is that that parking lot issue came up a bunch. And what we kept hearing was, it's like, actually, you have plenty of parking, but you just have to think about how you're using your space more efficiently. And so like, for example, if we were able to use, this is one of the things we're thinking about in our planning process, if we're able to take our street frontage and actually turn it to parallel parking, that Mm -hmm. we would actually gain like all this space that is currently not even being utilized at all. And so it, it may not even be a matter of building more lots, I think any futurist would say that that's a really bad idea right now, considering that like probably 20 years from now, very, I mean, so many of us will be driving self-driving cars that I, I think building parking lots right now for churches is probably a really bad idea. Uh, probably a poor investment, but there yeah. might be ways that we can use our existing space much more effectively without af- actually having to lay any more asphalt. But you know, there's, there's this kind of psychological phenomenon of parking lots where people think about parking spaces as only in parking lots. And they oftentimes, churches tend to ignore parking on the street, you know, near their Mm -hmm. church, even though it's, it can be closer than the furthest spot in the actual lot. And so sometimes it's, again, another imagination, just open up their imagination to there's, there's spots, you know, within within two blocks, there's these many spots if you look for them. Right, exactly. And I always encourage churches to think about it too, instead of even in terms of blocks, telling their congregants, you know, if you park in this area, this is a five minute walk. Because so often too, it's that like mental hurdle of people think it's much further than it actually is. And then when you frame it in terms of minutes, it's like, oh, that's not too bad, right? And then they can actually build that into their commute of their church commute time, right? And so, oh, we should like leave five minutes early because we know we have that walk in front of us or something. right. 
I want, I'm curious, you know, the charrette happened and it was successful from my perspective. What changes, I know you haven't built it out yet. That's some of the brick and mortar stuff that hopefully will happen uh, in the future. But what other changes have you noticed in the last two years in terms of how your congregation interacts with neighborhoods or your relationships with the neighbors in the last two years because of the charrette? I think it's just become a really important theme in our church um, to think about what it means to be people of hospitality. That's just become a really important word to us that we use a whole lot now around here. I think that rather than just thinking about this as a building that we come to gather on Sundays to get personally filled up and then we leave, there's just a lot more thoughtfulness about that this is a place that is representative of Jesus in this particular environment. And therefore we have an obligation and we have a personal vocation to steward because we represent Jesus in this particular community. And so when we think about parking and we think about how we're using our physical environment, when we think about, we own a few properties around the building as we think about how we maintain those properties, what we do with the lawns and the, and how we maintain kind of the physical suitability of those properties. Like, I think there's, there's just a lot more thoughtfulness because now we know these people, they're our neighbors and we actually have a relationship with a lot of them. As our, as we started going in our plans, the version of the plan 10 years ago was to tear down these two houses that we own behind the building and build this mammoth new three-story addition. And, um, in this round, like that was not even on the table. No one even considered that because in the conversation, it was so clear to everyone that maintaining those houses is really important to our neighborhood and that people don't want us to tear those houses down. Let's instead think about how we can use those houses for the good of the neighborhood because those houses are a part of this neighborhood. So I think it's just been a change of mentality that hasn't... Yeah, it sounds like some 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 healing has happened. I think so. You've, some of those relationships have yeah. been healed. Yeah, I mean, I, I might be naive in saying that. I mean, there might be, I'm sure there's plenty of neighbors who still are frustrated that there's such huge glut of people driving their cars into their neighborhood <laughs> on Sunday morning. I mean, yeah. I don't think we can ever fully overcome that, but I do think that there's a softening. And I think what we really have to do now though, is really demonstrate to our neighbors that we were serious. So, you know, as we move into this, we've just started our architectural planning and we told them two years ago that when we have our plans, we were going to bring them to them and ask for their feedback before we move them into final form. And so we got to put our money where our mouth was and we have to actually do that. And so this fall, once our first iterations of our plans are done, we're going to have another neighborhood meeting and, and hopefully demonstrate to them that like we were serious about what we said and that we're not going to tear down those houses mm-hmm. and we're going to try to do this development in a way that does meet some of our needs, but also really honors some of the concerns that were raised and really tries to contribute to the common good of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I, you come back to me, you know, later in the fall and I'll let you know if everything is falling apart. You'll, you'll be in, se- you'll be in yeah. season two also. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be that, the, you know, th- you know, plans that, that worked and plans yes. that didn't kind yeah. of uh, assessment. But yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. I'm not sure if this question will make sense, but um, you, you took a risk, I guess, in doing the, in this, inviting the neighbors into your thinking process, and it could have gone all kinds of directions and bringing some outsiders in for, as consultants and whatnot. Um, can you think outside of the things you've already mentioned in terms of hospitality and actually things having to do with this Shrek? Can you, did your church learn anything in even just taking this risk and having this outcome? Did you feel like there's any big learnings that happened among the church? I think a couple of things. I think, uh, I think first of all, like people started thinking about space, geography, physical environment 
differently. Um, I think evangelicals can be so docetic. I mean, we can be so Gnostic in the way that we, you know, it's just all about the spirit and the soul and, you know, it's all burning up and who cares about like <laughs> the, the physical space and who cares about our buildings and who cares about none of that has it, 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 um, a lot of theological weight or meaning to a lot of Christians. And so I think people started thinking like, oh, like, you know, we're, we're physical beings and we're embodied and we dwell in places and we inhabit buildings and buildings are not necessarily bad. They can actually communicate something about God and the gospel. And part of our calling is to help create beautiful physical environments that where human beings can flourish. And so even though our church is passionate about giving away money to global and local missions for evangelism and church planting, and that's considered like a really special holy work of the church. Like maybe it's also a holy work to think about how we're thinking about our physical imprint and our physical property. Like maybe that's also a holy work of God. So again, maybe this is just me importing my own <laughs> impressions onto my people, but I do think that there's a growing sense that the stewardship of our of what God has entrusted to us in this physical place is actually part of the holy work of being a Christian disciple. And hopefully that's also carried into, I think, as we have impressed this perspective on Christian discipleship also into their neighborhoods and these parishes, that people are thinking more like neighbors and thinking about how they're contributing to the flourishing of their physical spaces and their neighborhoods where they're living as well. So that would be another outcome that I hope has developed also. If a church who's considering maybe doing something in their neighborhood, what would be some small steps that you would encourage them to take? So the charrette is an awesome endeavor, right? But that's a pretty large scale endeavor. Do you have some suggestions in terms of small steps they could take or things that they could know when they would be maybe ready to do a charrette mm-hmm. and take that on? What that yeah. Like? yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, one of the common, um, one of like the mantras going back to my early formation in Christian community development, like one of the deep mantras of that movement is before you decide what a neighborhood needs, listen to the neighbors say what they desire and need. And so that means you have to know your neighbors. You have to listen to your neighbors. You have to, so many times as Christians, like we assume that we know what our neighbors want and need, but we've never actually talked to them. We've never heard their stories. We've never listened to their hearts. We've never heard kind of their, their, their dreams. And so that would, I think is the very best place to start is just to like really get to know people in your neighborhood and then look for ways to hear from them, to ask what it is, what's your dream for this neighborhood? You know, what's your hope for this place that we live in? We share this space together. You know, I'm a Christian and I have my own thoughts, but you might not be. And I want to hear what your thoughts and dreams are. So I just think it would go a long way if Christians shut their mouths a lot more and open their ears a lot more to listen. So that's just a really basic first step, I think. That's awesome. Oh, but so important. So So cool. Hey, Corey, is there anything that we didn't ask you that you think would have been really interesting to ask? Well, we've talked a lot about the strut. We haven't talked much about this whole parish structure of church that we've created. I think what's been cool is that I think more and more people are seeing that the life of being a Christian doesn't just happen in holy sacred spaces like church buildings as important as that is as good as it is, but it's kind of opened people's eyes to see the neighborhood as a sacred space, um, to see their neighborhoods as mm-hmm. a sacred place where mission and ministry happens. I just don't think it's possible to be a generic Christian 
or to love humanity. Love is always particular. Discipleship yeah. is always is always particular. Love is always small. And so I just think that it's really been powerful pe- people to stop just thinking about you know loving people, loving neighbor, you know loving people, sharing the gospel and instead thinking about this particular neighbor. My we have people doing neighborhood maps, neighborhood maps where they have the six houses around their house. We're not saying like it's your goal in 12 months to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with all <laughs> it's your goal is to know the names of these six neighbors right. and know one thing about them that is more than just a surface conversation. And that is a huge stretch for a lot of people because we don't know our neighbors. And so it's just been a really powerful thing for people to just realize that like, oh, the particular place where Jesus has called me to follow him is here in this neighborhood among these people to love in this particular way. And I just think that's been a really beautiful development that has resulted from this. So we'll see what happens. That's awesome, Corey. I love that. Thank you. Um, man, we have, I think we have to wrap it up, but this has been so good. I, I, love, I love the way you think, but I also love the way you're leading your church to, to think about their faith in a more holistic way. And so I hope some of our listeners get inspired and um, maybe lean into a little bit more of their embedded churches and neighborhoods that they, in which they live. So thanks for, thanks for being our guest today. Yeah, Thank thanks, you. guys. It's been a and, pleasure uh, talking to you. Yeah, you're you're definitely on the list for season two. So, I'll come back in season yeah. two and say, scratch it all. None of it works. Yeah, yeah. None of it works. So, <laughs> get back in your cars and start driving everywhere. I, I'm moving to suburban DC and never coming back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. Cool. All right. Good to meet you, Sarah Choi. Yeah, good to yeah, meet you. Bye. Take care. See you, Corey. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Embedded Church Podcast. We hope that you find the stories both inspiring and insightful. Be sure to check out our website, embeddedchurch.com, to find more info about today's episode, learn more about this podcast, and access helpful urbanism resources. And a good review goes a long way, so please take a moment to rate this podcast so we can successfully share more of the stories that shape the Embedded Church.